Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is volume 13, issue number 14. This corresponds to the week of March 20th of 2023. Free thoughts today from Horace. Happy the man and happy he alone. He who can call today his own. He who secure within can say, tomorrow do thy worse for I have lived today. I love this. That poem is just so emblematic of how I like to see the world. Live for every day, live it well, live it with honor, live it with love, live it as if tomorrow will not come, but of all, above all, accept the trials of today with love and joy. The obstacle is the way. Memento mori. So, this issue, we're going to talk about the cholesterol story, part five. We're also going to touch on GLP-1 inhibitors in teenagers and then GLP-1 inhibitors and risk in general. Song of the week is Midnight Moonlight by The Firm, a band from, I think it was in the mid-80s, that had Jimmy Page as the guitarist and the lead singer from Bad Company, who I am blanking on his name right now. But pretty cool band. All right, cholesterol lipid hypothesis part five. What to do? So I hope over the last four weeks, I've sufficiently laid the case for heart disease as a complex disorder that is far from just a cholesterol lipoprotein issue. It is a vastly more complex than this, especially with the new emerging data on the actions of high-density lipoproteins in reverse cholesterol and other molecular removal from circulation transport issues. In the next week's letter, we will look at HDL specifically, and somewhere in the near future, I will synthesize further recent work linking cardiovascular disease, immunobiology, and obesity. As I think about my late father's and my heart disease risk factors, I immediately think about my two minions, Thomas and Bella, and how I can prevent these issues from coming to life in them, as they are genetically 50% of me. I turn back to Dr. Mark Houston again. I think that his approach makes the most sense for my family. He states, quote, micronutrients, macronutrients, and optimal nutrition and nutritional supplements can prevent, control, and treat hypertension through numerous mechanisms related to vascular biology. These treatments are complementary to drug therapy, oxidative stress, inflammation, autoimmune dysfunction, and initiate and propagate hypertension and cardiovascular disease, end quote. So to reduce the risk of all heart-based metabolic disease, we need to focus on the core risk factors for developing the disease. One, as we have known for years that smoking and exposure to toxins are major drivers of cardio- coronary artery disease and other metabolic arrangements in the body. So we need to avoid all toxins in your family's environment, diet and water. So we'd go to the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org, for information on toxin avoidance. I highly recommend water filtration systems on your drinking water. Use quality house filters on your HVAC and air out your house when possible. Try to avoid eating and drinking from plastic containers as they leach microplastics into your body as well as into the environment during natural degradation. Remember that we find microplastics in marine fish, animal fish, and water sources at unnatural rates. The effect on us is not good. We all need to do our part here. There's so much to look at in the toxicity exposure space. Two, 
Clearly, we need to eliminate trans fats and reduce our overconsumption of processed peroxidant vegetable oils like omega-6 fats. The biggest culprits are heated corn, soy, and canola oils. Omega-6 fatty acids are inherently safe in normal volumes as found in naturally unprocessed foods. The processing and the ultra-processing of these foods are driving this inflammatory reality. Help your mitochondria and cell membranes stay alive and happy. Avoid this problem. Three, dramatically reduce or eliminate altogether refined carbohydrates like flour and added sugars from your family's diet. This has multiple effects, including balancing metabolic hormones, increasing insulin sensitivity, improving the gut flora composition, reducing small dense LDL cholesterol levels, decreasing fat cell proliferation, reducing triglycerides, and reducing overall inflammation. This is most likely the most important recommendation on this whole list. Four, ensure adequate micronutrients for a full cellular functioning throughout the vascular system. Magnesium, calcium, zinc, potassium are needed in higher volumes in most Americans. Limit sodium to allow the sodium-potassium ratio to rise back to normal. Obtain most micronutrients through food sources and supplement as needed based on testing and SNP knowledge, single nucleotide polymorphisms. Five, increase all naturally bright colored vegetables and fruits ingested in your diet. You need this type of vegetable matter to load the system with polyphenol antioxidant chemicals that are direct protectors of mitochondrial activity system-wide, as well as inflammatory reducers. Six, increase the consumption of fish and or omega-3 fatty acid fish oils as they are a natural source of special pro-resolving lipid mediators aimed at reducing systemic inflammation and balancing the omega-6 fatty acids. I'm a huge fan of fish oil because of its pleiotrophic effects concussion mitigation, and brain health promotion are two major benefits that are coming along. Seven, increase the consumption of soluble and insoluble fibers to enhance gut flora growth, improve endothelial function, and regulate bowel function. Aim for greater than 50 grams daily for the average teenager or adult. The primary sources are fruits, vegetables, and legumes. Eight, Brush and floss your child's teeth daily to prevent abnormal oral bacterial overgrowth of flora. They can then proliferate and turn into bacterial seeds for heart disease. Again, this is where reducing flour and sugar exposure helps tremendously protect the oral cavity. Oral hygiene is critical. Nine, exercise vigorously three or preferably five days a week to stimulate the production of nitric oxide, a chemical that dilates blood vessels. Try having your children vary the intensity to put stress on the system. Mix up cardio training with resistance training. This is a great thing for heart disease prevention. Number 10, reduce stress through meditation, yoga, prayer. Visit the website Long Distance Love Bombs for a tour down Happiness Lane. I love Dr. Jeremy Goldberg's work. 11, sleep 7 to 8 hours per night for rejuvenation and stress reduction. More based on age. 8 to 14 hours for toddlers or teens. 12. Learn about your genetics. Over the coming years, we will have evolving information regarding gene-environment interactions that can be acted upon to reduce the risk of all-cause disease, including cardiovascular disease. Apolipoprotein E4 and lipoprotein little a are direct risk factors that could push a person to a more aggressive disease, but improve with self-care. The key to this discussion is the fact that we have the ability to delay, if not halt, most lifestyle diseases by modifying our and our children's choices. The above is really a primer for most disease. Heart disease is just one of the more common and deadly issues that we face. 
the cholesterol lipid hypothesis is still aggressively pursued by most adult physicians and statins as a class of medicine is here to stay for the foreseeable future until further studies change this dogma, if at all. I understand this based on the risk of not treating. My goal has been to show a preventative approach that can forestall this disease and an alternative hypothesis for why cholesterol is what it is and does what it does. I still hold true to the belief that cholesterol is necessary and not bad unless it becomes unbalanced by epigenetic forces that are based on our lifestyle choices. Change these lifestyle factors and you may be able to be medicine-free and make your cardiologist very happy or your pediatrician that wants your child to be medicine-free forever. If you need medicine despite an aggressive lifestyle approach, so be it. You've done your best. Although the medicine dosage hopefully will be likely substantially lower than expected based on those decisions. A win-win and a win. Section 2. Obesity treatment for adolescents. This is a redo from a few weeks ago because the context of Section 3 makes this important. Semaglutide is a new injectable drug that has shown incredible results in adults with diabetes and obesity by activating the glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor. This action increases insulin release, glycemic control, and blood glucose utilization. This, in effect, decreases adipose storage and blood glucose increases that lead to symptoms of diabetes over time. Before I discuss this study, I want to point out that this medicine is 100% unnecessary if children and adolescents follow a healthy diet and exercise regimen. This is truly a medicine only for those who cannot in any way make the appropriate changes for health and will have worsened health and disease without the pharmacological therapy. The study, quote, a total of 201 participants underwent randomization and 180, 90% of them, completed treatment. All but one of the participants had obesity. The mean change in body mass index from baseline to week 68 was 16.8% in the down direction with semiglutide versus almost nothing, 0.6% in placebo. At week 68, a total of 95 of the 131, or 73% of the participants in the semiglutide group had weight loss of 5% or more as compared to 11 of the 62, or 18% of the placebo group. Reductions of body weight and improvement with respect to cardiometabolic risk factors, waist circumference and levels of glycation, hemoglobin, lipids, and aminotransferases, called ALT, a marker of liver disease, were greater in the semiglutide group than with placebo. The incidence of gastrointestinal adverse events was greater with semiglutide than placebo, 62 versus 42%. Five participants, roughly 4% in the semiglutide group, and no participants in the placebo group had any problems with gallbladder disease. Serious adverse events were reported in 15 of the, of the 133 participants, 11%, in the semiglutide group, and 6 or 9% in the placebo group. This comes to us from Weg Huber, W-E-G-H-U-B-E-R et al., 2022. This will likely become a very important addition to the medical pharmacotherapy fight against disease in the sickest individuals. I wish it was not necessary. But again, sick individuals. We're seeing this being used in people who are perfectly healthy but just overweight. Not a good idea. So let's go on to section three. What is the deal with these drugs and weight loss? Dr. Peter Atia recently wrote a great blog post that I would encourage you to read in its entirety. But he wrote, in quote, But weight loss is not a great proxy for fat loss. And drugs designed to treat obesity are only beneficial if they can improve body composition, in addition to body weight. If you do not follow Peter, I would advise you to start, as he is the best educator in the health span space currently. Conversely, I will continue to follow him 
and send you pearls from his great work for those who do not want to. This is the critical truth for all of us to understand. Losing fat mass is beneficial, whereas losing lean mass is absolutely not. So let's look at the study. Actually, so let's actually look at what Dr. Peter Tia said. Quote, GLP-1 agonists have been celebrated for their potency in reducing body mass, but lean mass accounts for an alarming proportion of this weight loss. For patients with excess fat, this considerable risk just doesn't seem worth the minimal benefits. For patients with sarcopenic obesity, which means they have low muscle mass but high fat mass, alternative weight strategies such as bariatric surgery may be more promising options. And even for patients with obesity and sufficient lean mass, for whom GLP-1 agonists may offer enough benefit from fat loss to justify the lean mass losses, efforts should still be made to minimize the latter as much as possible. Increasing weight-bearing exercise and strength training can help to counteract loss in muscle and bone mass while taking these drugs. And patients should be careful that they're consuming sufficient protein in spite of the overall reductions in appetite and caloric intake. As we've seen time and time again, there are no such things as miracle drugs, and GLP-1 agonists are no exception to this rule. While they may have value for certain individuals, these medications come with downsides beyond their hefty price tag, and both physicians and patients ought to exercise extreme caution and discretion in determining whether they are truly the right choice for weight management. Peter T. again from his blog a couple weeks ago. For me, what Dr. Tia is stating here is this. If you or your child or a loved one have excessive fat mass, but also do not have normal volumes of lean mass, these medicines may be detrimental to your overall health and thus your health span. He also goes on to state that even if you are healthy in your lean mass category, but your obese fat mass group may not like these medicines as they still reduce the overall lean mass volume, and that is not a good thing. The lean mass loss was massive at close to 40% in the studies. Now, again, this is your muscle. Not good. Serious side effects were three times higher in the treatment arm with 164 events out of the 1,306 patients treated, or roughly 12.6%. There's also some concern around resting heart rate increases that would would portend a net negative metabolic effect over time. Lean muscle mass, resting heart rate, and other important longevity metrics make the use of these medicines an absolute question mark for many people. The high side effect profile is also a huge concern for me. Thus, for me, in the context of Section 2 and Section 3, I would think long and hard before offering this medicine to one of my children, one of my patients, or an adult friend of mine. Bariatric surgery may be the better source. We may have to look more at these drugs over time. But again... Diet, exercise, the basics are the key to this answer. All right, that's it for this week. As always, hug those kids. Have a fabulous day. And that's it. The information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for educational informational purposes only. It is absolutely not a substitute for advice and or treatment by your physician or healthcare professional. And is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.